welcome to Conversations on Karate. I'm Sue. I'm Greg. And we're joined today, um, thank you so much, by the wonderful Mary Stevens. Hello, welcome. Hello, look at that. I'm already wonderful and I haven't done anything yet. I, I like this podcast. <laughs> we aim to please. <laughs> we do. We aim to please our guests at all times. So, Mary, we were just um, just beforehand, we were just just saying, how would you like to be introduced, Mary? Do you how do you like it? And you said you, you're not actually into the sensei title. So, you know, what do you, how do you like to be introduced? Um, I think I do like to be introduced as just Mary Stevens because it's just quite a nice normal name um, and <laughs> less I mean I, I feel there's a lot of angst around uh, who's sensei who's not sensei how you you know all the honorifics that are built in all my the kids in my class all call me sensei Mary and I do like that um, and but I mean that's kind of long-standing tradition it's only really over the last couple of years that I'm more aware of you know, people in the practical karate world just wanting to be known by their name to their students because I think that's quite an important leveler. So I might be, you know, uh, just to pick a name at random. I, I, so I was just going to pick a male name at random because most of them are men. Um, and then about the first five male names that came into my name are, are all people that I that could the names that could be associated with people in the practical karate world that are already teaching. And I'm not. So, so let's take for example my friend Lee Mullen who doesn't like his students to call him sensei at all, uh, just Lee. And Ian Abernethy does the same with his students. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like to be known as sensei. So I'm like, well, if these people are not, um, you know, taking their honorific title, then um, does that mean that am I gigantic, um, arrogant pain in the arse if I quite like my students to call me sensei? Um, so it's something that I think we all have a bit of angst over. What what happens in your dojo? I when I was coming up, my sensei, he never even mentioned it. It was always, we called him Jeff. It was never a thing. It was never even a, a question until the group we were associated with were like, you really should have your students call you sensei. But he never liked it. So he very reluctantly was like, oh, well, you're going to have to call me sensei. But, you know, don't worry too much. And I've, just because of that, was always Greg. I've I don't mind it, I guess, if people call me sensei, but I prefer the first name for no other reason than just, I don't know. I don't know why. I'm The more I think about it, the more I like. So I'm very against, you know, the giving of respect in a systematic, um, because it is kind of way, just mm. because of tradition. And so mm. um, where I, I, I quite like, you know, I feel that respect is earned and that's something I teach my students all the time. Um, and with young people, I think it's really important that they learn to be suspicious of somebody who um, demands um, more. Um, I think you should be courteous always. Don't get me wrong. I always teach my students to be courteous, but I teach them to withhold respect until it's been earned. Mm -hmm. And there's something about that whole obviously that you know in that sense why am I teaching karate because it's a system that but it isn't really a system that, that is it, it does say you know courtesy is important but but respect is something that comes over time um and so any any system where that that makes you pay respectful behavior to someone that necessarily hasn't necessarily been in a position to earn that makes me a bit it's just open to abuse as well that's mm -hmm. the other thing as soon as you have a cultish you know you have to call me by my correct however many ranks high title 
um, you know, going way beyond um, Sensei into Han, Hanshi and Shihan and all of this kind of stuff, then you're like, okay, well, at this point, um, you know, we know that there's a problem with abuse in dojos. We know that um, there's a, a, some kind of uh, emotional manipulation, cultish behavior, that kind of thing. And, and to me, that kind of system kind of moves in that direction, which begs the question, why do I still have my students call me sensei? Um, and that's, a, I guess it's a hard habit to break, but I've, I don't know where I'm going to go with that. Having only really been in the practical karate world, like full on for a couple of years now. Mm. So a couple of, so where was your, what was your martial history before that? Oof. Um, well, um, I'll try and make it as brief as I can. Uh, right. always loved karate, thought it was really cool. My parents made me do ballet because I was a girl uh, and karate's for boys. Uh, and uh, still always loved the aesthetic. Um, when my son was being bullied um, at the age of four, I decided to enroll him in karate because I'd found a, you know, a, a school that taught um, holistic life skills as opposed to just kicking and punching. Um, and uh, I, I, I started myself at the same time as my son. Um, so he was four, he's now 23. Uh, so that's how long I've been doing karate. Um, and during that time, um, there was, you know, our dojo was very influenced by Jeff Thompson, Peter Constantine, etc. So um, we were looking at um, kind of practical applications of karate, but not really calling it that. Um, then I also, in terms of becoming a more rounded fighter, I took up jiu-jitsu. Um, so I did sort of eight years of Brazilian jiu-jitsu um, and quite a lot of um, you know, fighting, competing, etc. Um, then with um, recession and oh, I had a head injury, um, which was in a car accident. Um, I was given, a, after a long legal battle, a huge amount of compensation. We spent all of that compensation money on creating uh, uh, our perfect dojo from a shell, which ran us into a gigantic amount of debt. Uh, and although the martial arts business still went OK, the um, other businesses that we tried to put alongside that, that we put a lot of money into completely crashed and burned because that was during the recession. Mm. So I was uh, on benefits with two teens in a disastrous relationship um that after my divorce was going very very badly and causing a lot of friction so then i went back into school teaching for a couple of years but really really missed the karate teaching and i was really lucky because the person that i'd sold my karate school to then um, a few years later wanted to go into the police and so i was able to come back in and take back the school that i had left um so a lot of the students i'd had when they were tiny were now obviously quite a lot bigger uh, so that's kind of, and then eventually I had to separate from my association school because there was a lot of, sort of conflict of interest and all sorts of stuff going on with that. So then I kind of ended up on my own, but affiliated to BCKA and in this fantastic network of wonderful karateka, which I know you are as well. There you go. That was as short as I was, could make it. I hope that was okay. Definitely. That's that's probably okay. the most efficient and concise that anyone. Exactly, has I was just ever. thinking the same. Because <laughs> normally they can, you know, go on like 10, 15, 20 minutes, you know, which is which is good. No criticism of our previous guests. But well done. <laughs> I've yes. probably missed loads of important stuff out, but we'll see. Yeah, I that's, think you got the you got the main points there. Yeah, that's sure. that's impressive, and in that journey seems quite 
familiar from going from a more traditional space into BCKA and you know moving into a more practical accommodating association see mm. it's quite a common theme isn't it amongst our guests it seems that that progression definitely um uh, and it's really good to talk to joe and to other people in in the network that have uh, have really fully at first hand experienced that and then there's some you know importance of role models is key in a lot of the fields that i work in but to have some people ahead of me that have been down that exact same road and the, to learn from their experience, which they're very willing to share and be inclusive about, um, has been an incredible support. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a funny one, isn't it? It's, it's just weird that there's still this cult-like behaviour that stops people from doing it. Like I said, the amount of people that have probably thought about it but haven't done it just because, like you said, the their overbearing association probably won't allow it is is madness. And it's really sad as well. It is. In in something as creative and enjoyable as as karate to be to to be completely stifled like that, to really want to go and do something that feels enjoyable and like a natural progression and to not be able to do that because your association says it's bad. That's it, that's really sad. Yeah. I mean, part of the um, well, part part of the problem for me was that I was um, in an association with my then ex. So um, even though some of what he wanted to do was in a similar sphere, we still ended up having conflict over it anyway. Mm. Um, which um, you know was was very difficult, and because he was senior to me as well. Then we had a kind of a chief instructor, junior instructor vibe, which um, made it difficult for me to take the initiative um, in ways that I wanted to or in ways that I could without him feeling that I was really treading on his toes a lot. Um, and in the end, it was just easier to not to be constantly treading on his toes and causing a massive conflict every time I wanted to go and train with somebody else or learn something else or do something you know I'm just always like oh that's really cool I want to go and do that or this really cool yes. I want to go and do that and it was hard um for, for him not to take that personally as well yeah no that's understandable mm -hmm. so I mean you do um a huge amount of work in India don't you yes not as much as I would normally obviously given the pandemic but um, yeah. trying to do that on zoom has been um uh, um what should I say a challenging and uh, an experience that offers growth oh I can imagine but tell it tell us about that because I you know it's a, it's a trust isn't it that you're part of and you're teaching women and young women soft and hard skills in self-defense is that sort of about right yes kind of in a split as well I mean one of the reasons that I got very um deep into the um whole area of the the difference between martial arts and self-defense which wasn't something that i was particularly aware of before but um once i started working in india it became a matter of urgency to to really sort sort out my thinking in that area because the karate school that we work with over there is very three cage shotokan um and um but a part of what they believe that they do is teach women self-defense mm. and they don't Mm -hmm. they, they teach women um, unrealistic, static, um, traditional, ineffective um, defence techniques 
that um, are more likely to put them in danger than to do anything good. But at the same time, the young women that we have in our karate project there are thriving because they're doing empowering exercise, because they're learning great physical control of their body, because they're, um, you know, really um, developing team skills and power and confidence and all of these things, which particularly for women who've had a horrendous start, potentially abusive backgrounds um, and come from a, a lack of confidence um, and extreme poverty, then um, if you've been repressed your whole life, then the practice of karate is really, really positive in itself. So it wasn't that the karate that we were teaching for these girls in the safe house was not beneficial. It's just that in terms of my role was to upskill the instructors um, in terms of, um, you know, my, my big focus is, is life skills for children. And that's kind of the main, my, my own karate school is maybe 90% kids. I've recently started to, um, to teach adults um, again, but it, you know, it's not been the main focus. And most people that do karate as a full-time job um, have to depend on the child's market anyway. So I'm lucky that I'm a school teacher. So that's, you know, got expertise in that area. So I was recruited to the team to help with the um, pedagogy. And it became very clear to me that we needed to have a conversation about what was self-defense. And then I came back um, and I sought out Jamie Club, who um, is an awesome children's self-defense and cross-training martial artist, who I'm lucky lives not far from me in the Cotswolds. Um, and that was uh, more than two years ago and I've been training with Jamie every week since then um, and he's fantastic um, and it was really good to have a, a, a trainer who's not a karateka. Uh, I think we've gradually dragged Jamie a little bit more into the world of practical karate. I mean he's really good friends with Ian so mm -hmm. that was a big head start but um, during lockdown a, a lot of the um, a lot of the club chimera that's Jamie's club um, uh, kind of events have been very um, heavily populated by interested karateka that want to yeah. import some of that into their own stuff yeah. so that's um, that's been a really really positive connection for me um, and then as in the wider world of um, you know outside, so Jamie is part of the wild, wider world but I'm lucky that he lives near me so um, outside of this area um, I've spent a lot of time um, talking with and doing some um, seminars with Joe Saunders from Managing Violence podcast, who's awesome. He's going to come to the UK next year. You should come. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, and um, Richard Dimitri, Pamela Armitage for um, excellent um, practical um, and trauma informed approaches as well. So, um, yeah, so outside of the practical karate network. I've made some important um, kind of connections with people that have been really, really good for my learning in mm. that important area of what is karate, what is not karate, mm -hmm. and how we teach that, how we approach that. God, that is such a that is so good because we've we've been this this conversation has been coming up, mm. you know, and I've been I've been around this conversation, but obviously, um, Greg and Joe are talking about it much more because they're responsible for teaching it so but I've been around it and kind of sticking my oar in every now and then <laughs> sort of um just just saying you know what what things are from a, a woman's perspective like how so much self-defense in class 
starts from, well, let's say that a guy's really angry with you for spilling his pint. It's like, yeah, but half of your class of girls, and that's not real life for girls. They'll just apologize and step away. They, this isn't, that isn't how things tend to happen for women and much less in your world. Sorry. No, 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 but, but like, and it doesn't have to be a self-defense situation for men either. And that's a massive issue because a woman would de-escalate that situation like a boss. Um, mm. And most men wouldn't feel they could because yeah. they feel that that would be, um, th th their ego won't let them do yeah. that. And that's one big area for Richard Dimitri, particularly in that that is social violence and it is 10 out of 10 times de-escalatable in his mm -hmm. opinion. Ego causes more problems for, for men than anything else. 100 percent and then that tracks back to all the issues that we have over you know male suicide why men don't feel that they can be articulate about their emotions um why um, men don't feature so much in the caring profession so there aren't the real, the male role models that young men also need and why men are in our society can't truly be themselves don't get me wrong this is absolutely not a poor men spiel from my point of view i want to solve the problem of violence against women but you mm. can't do that unless you solve the problem of male violence and where that comes from so um that's sorry susie i know you were kind of um you you are absolutely right a lot of the situations that come up as a how would we navigate this in the dojo don't apply to women that was your point and i completely agree with mm. you no, uh, but the the other point that you and we can come back to we can go go to absolutely all of the points. But that's so interesting that that you know the kind of that hadn't particularly occurred to me. Obviously, it had occurred to Greg before that you know ego and not being able to back down is is a huge issue because I have I don't think I've ever heard that addressed. I love it. I there's a there's an ever. amazing meme that Randy King, um, another. Uh, obviously great guy um working in this field and he's from canada and he um he has this thing where he's like yeah i was in the car park with my kid and this guy came up and threatened me in the face and said that you know that i backed into his car and i hadn't backed into his car and i was like i'm so sorry mate how can we fix this and um had this long conversation about it yeah and, and i hope my kid was really proud of me because i absolutely de-escalated that situation like a boss I was like yes this is the role modeling we're looking for here so yeah yeah. yeah yeah it's it's a problem and that's one of the reasons recently why i've really been put off the self-defense in martial arts thing it, it's it's so much of person does this we're gonna beat the shit out of them it's like no 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 no, no. let's not do that let's let's talk our way out of it that's why so, you, you said you've done eight years of, of bjj i've just started bjj oh cool and and one of the things I'm really liking about it is there's very little in in the way of talking about self-defense, but you're developing skills straight away that you can easily apply in self-defense. It's just not a focus. Mm, absolutely. Um, oh, yeah, well, that's a really big subject. Um, I, I had Andy Kidd came up to do um, to be on my Dan Gray panel um, a few um, months ago and the BJJ that I teach my students uh, is largely practical but because I haven't spent a lot of time in the world of BJJ separating out, separating, separating out what I consider to be practical BJJ or or what other people consider to be competitive and what mm. so um, I found myself um, noticing 
with him or like because he was kind of observing well some of the some of the bjj techniques that i'm teaching my students belong more to competitive bjj than to um street um yeah. defense yeah uh, which is quite that was quite an interesting dimension to that it was like if i had studied bjj with what so you will be studying bjj with much more nous from what you already know because you're coming yeah. at it from a platform of, of, a, of a lot more knowledge but i think what you're referring to as well there's there's a, a massive surge in combatives um and some combatives people really fall into that hypervigilance trap that they're um absolutely glorifying violence per se and nobody literally nobody in their right mind would want to attack them because they're all like hench as fuck and um you know they're they're ready for anything the whole time and it was just like i don't want to live my life like that i don't need a technique that will deal with all of these different things and again there are some really good combatives people out there that's not i'm not having a dig at them and a lot of what they do is really really good but it's a mindset that isn't really a self-protection mindset it's not a personal security mindset 100 percent agree it's an extreme military wannabe yeah. Yeah. um and that's fine if you know what like train what you want to train as long as you know that's what you're training um and if you want to play being a soldier then you know knock yourself out that's fine but um but let's not assume let's not teach ordinary people that they're not safe to walk down the street because they are mm. and if the, if you teach them some really good boundary setting and um threat assessment they're even safer walking down the street mm -hmm. you know it, we're not in that kind of movie do 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 all the time it's just not a thing yeah so, i i agree 100% i i some of the the reality combative stuff i see is just insane to me now it's it's, it's like i've got a knife in my pocket and i'm going to this guy's attacking me, so I'm going to slash his arm and I'm going to bite his ear off and do this and that. And poor Bub the dummy's getting beaten up. And you're just like, no, why are you training for this? Like, what? who are you teaching this to for a start? And when are you ever going to use it without going to prison? Uh, yes. It's and then, obviously, sick. some of them were like, well, I'd rather go to prison than have my yeah. wife raped. And I'm like, yeah. what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Seriously. There was a thing, oh, I saw a thing about the, the Russian guy that... Um, killed the paedophile in his village because the paedophile had abused his daughter and they he, they had referred, they had all the evidence they needed, they'd referred it to the police, all the rest of that, but he decided to take justice into his own hands and he went and beat him to death with a shovel and then buried him. And which, yeah, which everybody was like, yes, I would totally, I completely get that. And I'm just like, he's now going to be spending his time in prison. Mm. Away from the child that he was away trying to Away from protect. the child that he's purporting to, he's deprived yeah. his child of her father mm -hmm. um and that's not okay yeah and that's again a big thing from richard dimitri's point of view is just like swallow your ego because you might end up in prison and how is that helping your family mm -hmm. and you might do something that you really regret if you have to live with yourself because a bloke spilt his pint on you you felt threatened and you punched him in the face you might be able to justify that in terms of the law if his behavior was um oppressive before that but if he hits his head as he goes down and ends up in a coma and then dead, you still have to live with that. Mm -hmm. And you still have, there will be consequences for that that aren't just about could you in that moment justify that. Mm. I was talking about this yesterday, Sue, wasn't I? About, um, I was listening to a podcast with Dan Hardy where he was 
saying about how he just doesn't believe in self-defense schools because of that reason you know why why especially him as an elite mma fighter why would he allow himself to be in a situation where he might have to hurt someone it's just not beneficial to him or them in any way shape or form he'd rather de-escalate things way before they get to that situation and that's someone who's fought for a living for many years saying that so if they can address their ego enough to say i don't want to be involved in this violent situation i don't see why like we as karate people or other people as karate people can't do the same it's mad to me and then that's the other thing is so a lot of people pay lip service to that and say oh yeah we, we do teach that people should de-escalate but the percentage of training that they spend on that as opposed to the percentage of training they spend in defending um you know potential um attacks um is minuscule and and therefore meaningless so yeah. this is which i'm thing. guilty of by the way 100 percent but then you see what, where who's given you the tools for that. Yeah, uh, exactly. I did a brilliant, brilliant. Um, this is where Joe Saunders has got the curriculum that nobody else has got. He's got a, a martial art of communication curriculum, which goes through a huge long thing of how to teach good communication, empathetic de-escalation, um, and gives you the actual tools to do that instead of just paying lip service to it. Because it, it is like you kind of, yeah, obviously you should try and avoid a situation. Obviously you should try and de-escalate a situation. But let's assume none of that's happened and now we can hit stuff. And, you know, so trying to be aware of that and to include. So if we if we're teaching karate, you don't have to worry about that. You have to know it and have it in there. But you don't have that same, I don't think, that same extensive moral responsibility to teach the the pre-fight the soft the soft skills you should definitely teach some of it but if you are teaching self-protection mm. you have no excuse mm-hmm. and you're an absolute charlatan if you're not spending the vast majority of your time in that space you know then um you're dangerous and you shouldn't be doing it that's why i think it's, it's just best to keep it separate now for me totally because you know like i said this yesterday as well you, you go to any boxing gym in the world they're spending time hitting things like we do, sparring and stuff. Their confidence in a potential violent situation is probably pretty high because they're used to having a scrap. But those soft skills aren't there. But they're not pretending to teach self-defense. Not once do they go in there and they're, they're learning valuable self-defense or like combative self-defense skills. But they're not pretending to teach self-defense. So it's not an issue for them. Whereas because we're always like, oh, yeah, come and learn self-defense or and confidence and this and that is it's too much to teach you know how you only have however many hours a week you have training like it needs to be well balanced yeah. and like you said it needs to be a big focus so it's just best to keep it separate i think so do you think we should just literally take out the words this is a really good self-defense drill when we're yeah. doing karate and just sort of go this is a good escape drill this is a good whatever drill but remove the word self-defense from it completely and then you're running maybe not completely i mean there's definitely crossover you know and you you can use these things for self-defense but just learning good skills is learning good skills do you know i mean like like if we go back to bjj learning to get someone off you when they're mounted on top of you is a good skill and if you're if you're drilling it when you're rolling every week you're going to get pretty good at it 
programming. But if you are a um, five foot two lightweight Indian woman and some big bloke is on top of you, then your mount defence from BJJ is unlikely to work. Yeah, hundred percent. Unless yeah. you strike them in the throat or something first, mm-hmm. or have some other kind of thing that you wouldn't be able to practice on the mats in BJJ. Yes. So, so then you kind of that's where in your different of what you're right, but if you keep it separately, then the skills that you've got definitely transfer across, but you need to be very specific about context. Yes. When you're hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough subject, isn't it? It really is. It is a tough subject. And that makes me wonder about, you know, teaching that kind of context in a class. You know, because I, I, I imagine that one of the reasons that this kind of doesn't get addressed in most karate classes or BJJ classes is who really wants to go down that particular subject line in class. Yeah. And who are you going to trigger by doing that? Because you don't know what people's past experience is and mm-hmm. um and what their fears might be uh and if you put yeah. um, a woman in a rape scenario in a class publicly in front of people you know that's uh, actually going to traumatize her mm-hmm. it, it could do but also how how many of the men are going to actually want to really deal with that or or act that out because i don't know any men in our class that would feel happy doing that exactly. it's it's just it's too sensitive i think I don't know, but my it's feeling not just is that. It's too sensitive. One of so one of the reasons then not to do it is that it's just too sensitive for people to deal with in that class. Yeah, that and me as a male instructor have no clue what that's like because I'm not a woman who's ever been raped. So I, how how can I teach? I could teach maybe what I think I know. But that's ridiculous. Why? Why would I teach that? I don't. I, I'm not. You know, I'm not coming from any knowledgeable perspective on that. So I would never feel comfortable teaching it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, completely. And that's right, though, because that hasn't stopped many men in the past teaching unrealistic rape defences from what they think they might know about it, mm-hmm. uh, or what they speculate. Oh, sorry, I have a postman waving boxes at me. That's all right. Go collect your boxes. It. Yeah, go. Don't worry. <laughs> Apologies. I'm so sorry. Ta-da. What coffee. have you got? Coffee. Ethical coffee from, um, yeah, from Gorongosa uh, in Africa, where one of my students runs a nature reserve. And this clearly is some kind of book. Um, now, the chances of it being a karate book are quite high, but I'm literally at that point when I cannot remember. Oh, do you know what it is? Oh, my God. I think it's Harry Potter in Hindi. That's, yes, because you've been reveal. learning. You've so, been learning Hindi, haven't you? So, so it is kind of karate or well, this conversation relevant in that sense because it's it's to do with fair fight stuff. But uh, oh, but yeah, I think that's. But anyway, I'll deal with it later. So so sorry for the interruption, but it is uh, absolutely fine. Going to be my job is trying to translate that because um, I figure that if at least if it's Harry Potter, then I've got a chance of being able to read it. How very exciting. How's your le- Hindi learning coming on? Slowly. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm now at the point where if you did drop me in a Hindi speaking part of India, I would survive. I would be able to, you know, ask directions and deal with people. And well, I say I would survive. It depends how hostile the local area is. And, um, you know, uh, it's, it's not particularly safe environment per se, but um, it's uh 
yeah, it's been really good because um, our girls who have been out of school because of the pandemic are now back in school. And um, I've been able to keep in touch with some of them um, by messaging in Hindi, which is um, obviously good for my language learning, but also really good for actually hearing from them. And when I go out in December for the first time, I'll really be able to talk to them instead of through translators and our translators have been brilliant but you know there's nothing quite like you know we play with the girls a lot and their English isn't great and my um, Hindi was non-existent um, laughable you know one or two words so now that I've got a not a high level of proficiency but enough to be able to sustain conversation that's going to be really really exciting. Mm. That's going to be amazing so you're that's that's the Fair Fight Trust is that right? So the Fair, uh, Fair Fight is an NGO that's based out of the Netherlands um, um, with projects in uh, India and Zimbabwe and a new project in Zambia. And we're also looking at opening one in South Africa next year, which is going to be really cool. Um, and I project manage for India. So um, I'm responsible for the uh, steering on a couple of projects that we have in Varanasi, which is in Uttar Pradesh and Lucknow, which is um, north of there. Um, where we partner with local organisations um, to provide um, karate and now self-defence training separately um, for um, different agencies. So um, the the safe house that we work with, with the girls that do karate, that's in conjunction with a local Shotokan um, karate association. Um, and that's been running for quite a long time now. But obviously the girls have been out of training. It's very exciting that they're back. And then... Um, I also then work with the Red Brigade Trust, who are a militant activist um, organisation for um, supporting women um, against violence and helping them deal with rape and acid attack, which is um, a, a very um, common feature um, in that in that society. So they um, not only do they train um, women in self-defence skills, but they also um, help with the legal process for women that have been raped and um, that have been um, disfigured. They provide work for acid attack survivors as well. Um, so, you know, they have like fundraising cafes where the um, acid attack survivors um, work because obviously it's very difficult for them to get jobs because they're um, so um, harmed. Mm. That sounds like amazing work. Yeah. And sadly, incredibly necessary. Yes, it's the, it's the most dangerous place in the world to be a woman. And um, one of the things that's particularly challenging about it is that for many women, remaining in abusive relationships is better than um, leaving. So unlike here, where it's in a way, it's like some some of the work that I've done here in the UK has been to do with um, fostered and adopted children. And that powerlessness that a child will have in that environment um, is kind of more widely mirrored, I think, in uh, Indian society for a lot of the women there, because they're... one of the young women that I correspond with, um, who's 21 now, uh, she's been she had a good education. Uh, she was sponsored through education. That's another it's another NGO that I work with um, Project Marla. They do amazing work. Um, trying to support education for poor um, poor children across the area. And um, she has a job now, um, which is really good, 
but her father has decided that it's time for her to get married and has chosen someone for her to marry and she doesn't want to marry him and there are literally no there's no backup for that mm-hmm. she wants to continue with her job and to you know to live her life she doesn't want to be married she won't be allowed to work she won't you know she's never met this guy she doesn't want to marry him but she doesn't have a choice and you know i get very upset in the uk when we have kind of symptoms of male privilege of which there are many as we know um and people are very dismissive of that but when you look at the spectrum of what that produces and what a patriarchal society really looks like i mean now it's the same like the taliban having stopped women go going back to secondary education in afghanistan people don't really absorb how education the access to education is one of the most important things mm-hmm. um and not allowing women to be educated not allowing them to make their own life choices is just it's obscene it's absolutely obscene uh and it's hard for people to wrap their head around how small i i'm a massive cricket fan and i spend quite a lot of time um dealing with misogyny in that world um just on a kind of casual for fun basis you know i tend i tend to not uh, Maybe maybe at weekends I'll call out people that are being sexist and uh, I'll I'll go into that just because I can't do it. It's twenty four seven otherwise. Um, uh, there, there was incredible distress last week when um, the international cricket um, committee decided to put the word batter instead of batsman in the rules. Um, so to to put in the gender neutral term there um, and the mass meltdown that ensued from the dinosaurs was phenomenal i mean regardless of the fact that we've had bowler instead of bowlsman and fielder instead of fieldsman for a long time um it was just bananas and lots of people that were then were well women can have the term batter but well i'm going to keep calling men batsmen it's like not quite understanding how this works are you that's fine it's like well you can have your equality. It's just that my equality is going to be the original equality and you can have the new equality. That's, you know, it's like, OK, so uh, actually sort of unpicking what privilege is and how it works mm. is is key. Um, a lot of my work is with um, minority ethnic groups, of course, not just because India, but I'm a trustee on a uh, for a um, for a college for minority ethnic and vulnerable students here in in Oxford. Um, and it's you know you've got that kind of new thing of why i'm no longer talking to white people about race it's like really really understanding that if you're going to be an ally sometimes you have to shut the fuck up and and let the people who are actually affected do the talking mm. and it really mirrors what we have in martial arts and that you have some very very well-meaning men that want to be excellent in women's self-defense and i totally commend that but sometimes what they need to do is appreciate that they don't know and that they have been brought up in a very privileged way where they can walk across the park at night where they don't um systematically um you know check that their drink hasn't been they they can they can leave their drink unattended without fear that it's going to be spiked there there's just lots and lots of 
things that women do automatically because they have a higher level of vigilance because they have to. And that can be quite wearing. But uh, most most men don't experience that. Um, and they, and you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, I, I think uh, we were we were literally having that conversation last night. Mm-hmm. Um, where I, I, I saw something on social media. I can't remember if it was um, in a in a space where you commented, Mary, but I, I noticed that somebody had said, you know, they'd gone the wrong way down a road and they ended up in a really dangerous part of the world and, and that it was really important to drill that you don't do that. And And I was saying to Greg and Joe, but women won't do that. It's really unlikely that women would do that. They tend to be so focused on where they are. And, you know, if you're going driving somewhere late at night, you, you kind of don't drive down those roads. Yeah. You, you, you don't tend to do it. You, you do tend to focus on how you're going to get home. You do tend to focus on keeping a friend with you. You do tend to focus on those things as a matter of course. I know a lot of men do as well, not dismissing that and that men are very much victims of violence absolutely not dismissing that but I think that there's a level of vigilance that women automatically have we've learned it so much you know that that as you say a a male instructor simply hasn't lived that doesn't know what that's like to just that is just normal part of life I don't need to be told to be careful in a multi-story car park no one needs to inform me about that Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that that's the thing, isn't it? And and that's where part of what I've been trying to work on at the moment is we will not solve the problem of women's self-defence without recruiting men. And nothing pisses yeah. men off more than being told that they're not wanted in that space absolutely. Uh, and that they don't have skills to help because they absolutely do. But trying to learn how to approach. So one of the books that I'm working on at the moment is this one, oh. which is really really good on why and how um you need to recruit men and how uh, it's really super or why it's important for men for exactly the reasons that you were talking about greg uh, that being a man knowing where to be a man a sensitive man in that argument is very very difficult mm-hmm. because i hate the creepy over overprotective man thing that really pisses me off. Difficult to be a dad of daughter. Most men really only come to this and understand the dif- disparity between male safety and female safety on the streets when they have a daughter. But then sometimes they absolutely go the other way and they turn into one of those. Well, if my daughter ever has a boyfriend, she'd better know that I'm a black belt and he'd better know that I'm a black belt. And this and it's just like, fuck off. Really, <laughs> seriously, absolutely fuck off. Um, so um yeah and it's about what can men do to be thoughtful to be good allies to support to make the world safer and i mean a lot of that is looking at why are most violent crimes committed by men why is 95 percent of the prison population male um you know why are 85 percent of the people that are arrested male you know, this is this is a man problem. It's a man problem. And it's like I feel like we as women have kind of identified that that men telling us what to do is not the solution in women's self-defense and supporting each other as women can be really helpful. And um, being allied with men to help, you know, share skills and that kind of thing is also really, really important. But also it's just like, why are we talking about the problem of women's self-defense? when We should be talking about the problem of male violence. 
Mm. It's just like the debate is in completely the wrong zone because, you know, here we are kind of swimming around in this little puddle. We're going, there's this massive, massive problem that people are not talking about, which is our society's really fucked up. And it's really, really hard to um, to think about how to solve that. And that's not a problem for women to solve. It's a problem for men to solve, but they have to see it first because mm-hmm. most men kind of feel okay where they are, or if they don't feel okay, they're not. Uh, they haven't been given the necessary skills to talk about how they don't feel okay and how that works. And so they're kind of just like, well, I'll just do my thing. And as long as I'm not personally raping, uh, attacking, assaulting women, then I'm one of the good guys. But you're still part of the male culture, which sometimes will, you know, snigger at sexist jokes or not you personally. Um, no, it, yeah. Yeah. But there's um, there's a, a whole subculture which is very, very low level acceptance of sexism, which totally feeds this bigger society problem where men are criminals. Mm-hmm. And of course, let me just hashtag not all men and, um, you know, women can be violent, too, and all of those different things. But the statistics are not lying here. Yeah. I'm going to step off my soapbox and just drink some coffee here quietly for a minute. No, <laughs> no it's, it's, it's an absolutely valid point. Yeah, it, it is. It is a valid point. You know, that, and that's one of the, the reasons why I, I hate these women's self-defense videos you see all the time, because they don't address <laughs> problems like that. They really don't. They're oh. quite fun for comedy, though. I mean, as long as the problem is people believe them, don't they? That's the thing. That's what yeah. really frightens. Yeah me yes me too and and they're shared all over the place you know they're shared into craft groups and women's groups and you know and and what have you and are taken as taken as read and and you can see that the the people who are doing it they're not really the attack isn't violent the woman's really struggling to hip throw the the enormous guy he's standing there with his knife out you know completely waiting for her to break the grip you know, and, and to be fair, you know, if someone's yeah. in the house, you, you know, throw a chair through the, the glass and, you know, and, and scream blue bloody murder and throw something at his head and... Nearest appropriate weapon, nearest appropriate target. Toss. Yes. You know, yes. Don't, don't try and engage like... The thing is, like, when, when you see stuff like, oh, here's, you know, someone's grabbed you, you're going to hip toss them over. It's like, do you realise how long it takes to get good at a hip toss? Yeah, like, I'm shit at it. I saw my. I'm not very good at it, but like to be able to pull that off against it, like even in sparring again when you're having fun, it's hard to be able to do it against someone who's twice your size and wanting to kill you or really hurt you is near enough impossible. Like yeah. good luck. And and like um like you've said a few times, Greg, is that the there's a statistic. Um, you lose something like seventy percent. Seventy percent of your, of your skill. Of your skill. Yeah when you're under severe pressure and yeah. a you know a stranger violently coming at you is going yeah. to put you under severe pressure so trying to execute a complicated technique is just not going to work and also i think of um I, I don't know if i'm quoting a statistic or something but you know someone who is intent was it mike clark who we spoke mm. to someone who is intent on hurting you really intent this is what they do they're going to do it Mm-hmm. that you know this is what they do they're going to enjoy themselves you know a nice little self-defense technique is not going to work the way i kind of think oh no carry on sorry 
Well, uh, there's a cold big thing down there on um, social and antisocial violence. And somebody who's determined to hurt you, then that falls into that kind of predator category. And then in your um, threat assessment phase, there are key questions that you use in that. So, I mean, obviously, I'm never going to be never, ever going to be in a position of victim blaming. But you're absolutely right that somebody's intent on hurting you. Um, that's their that's their plan. Um, and you're never going to you cannot de-escalate. That's the thing. No. You cannot de-escalate antisocial violence. You can only do your best to avoid it. Um, and that's where your kind of uh, predator line of self-defense stuff comes in, as opposed to your, um, you know, um, talking way out of the situation necessarily comes in. You can still employ verbal skills in that, but you have to you kind of go with some well it, it depends on the context and, and all the rest of that but it's really really important to know that if you're if you have identified that in that interaction your course of action from there on is dramatically different to what it would be in a social violence situation um and the more that women know about those the more they understand what those red flags are the better because mm. those are your potential murderers yes so where are you? Where are you? Um, so that's a, that's an amazing explanation. So, you know, I'm thinking about that and thinking, well, that's amazing. So where do I go and learn that? OK, so. So seriously, uh, like that, I'm sure there's loads of people saying that's great. Let's sign me up for that course. <laughs> the, and they, they are out there and it's really, really important to be. So, again, that's part of being I'm I'm, as you can tell, a, a gigantic nerd. And so like pursuing this and studying this has been um really really important part of my life for the last few years um so the in terms of identifying predators um the one of the key original texts is gavin de becker's gift of fear which lays out the um uh, the whole background to that it's an old text now but it's still um is it up here somewhere no it's oh no down here so yeah every everybody that's interested in self-protection has to read this okay, okay. That, that is essential and it will have you i mean I, i've part of it i've translated it into hindi for my girls because the identifying predators section is vital and you've got your pins of deception you know the the key things of for, force teaming disregarding no and um like the the unwanted gifts and all of this kind of stuff that shows you how somebody's trying to control you in the early stages of that, inter that interaction so where your instincts that's why the gift of your instincts might fire off but it's very hard to overcome politeness with with, with completely identify with that 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 feeling of going out with someone and just something is so off but everyone is saying no no he's a really nice guy yeah and the, that, that's actually <laughs> quite relevant isn't it because you know because perfectly nice man who actually is a bit of a predator on the quiet isn't going to tell his mates while he's playing football that he's actually manipulating this really nice girl into a really dodgy situation yeah. he will be a nice guy yeah yeah no and that's part of the cover because they can be that's that you know that plausibility is an important part of that shield in that predator behavior so gift of fears is an essential um in terms of dealing with um, social and antisocial violence, I've done a lot of that study with Jamie and a lot of that study with Richard Dimitri, particularly. Um, so both of those, I would say, are really good resources in that field as well. Um, and, you know, it's um, and then in terms of coming back to what you were talking about before about 
all the things that you forget. Um, I also did my BTEC in self-defense instructing with Mark Dawes at the National Federation of Personal Safety. And he's got some fantastic stuff in there about um, gross motor skills attacks and um, how to, you know, just looking at what people do naturally and harnessing that, which again is is very much accepted by people that are worth listening to. Um, and looking at what what have you got, what comes naturally to you, and how can you then work on honing and and um, you know you, most things are going to be based on some kind of attack to the face mm-hmm. because it's going to be your most effective thing. Turn turn off the machine at the at the switch, as Jamie would say, rather than try and stop the blades that are going around. Um, and uh, I always and Dimitri always talks about the nearest appropriate weapon, nearest appropriate target. And you've got the whole, you know, soft bits of them, hard bits of you. And just trying to get students to work from that principle base as opposed to a technique base. So yes. in any particular scenario, what have you got in this situation? Not how can you apply the technique that you worked on in the dojo five years ago? Because that would require, say, so sorry, Mr. Attacker, can you just move a little bit to your left so that mm-hmm. I can angle this way? No so that you're just work just working from raw principles and then you've only got like two things to remember yeah it's exactly I mean, the conversation we were having yesterday principle based yeah. learning is yeah. far more effective yeah it is i mean there's a, there's something that ian abernethy and and you followed it up many times greg or maybe you said it first but i remember it particularly from his seminar is like keep hitting yeah just keep hitting there's a, a really nice drill of his that i can never remember but it's it's basically like palm 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 hammer fist and he does it to trigger adrenaline and and as well as that that's bang, bang, bang. but no. do not stop yeah because yeah. that's that's something that i've um i've 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 said i was uh saying to you guys as well that you know i think if you're um in a in a tricky situation the one thing that you wouldn't want to do if it's not necessarily been violent but it it's all of a sudden you realize where you are you have a choice you comply or you try and end it with something and if you're going to try and end it with something you run a real risk of turning something that could turning something into a very violent situation and making it worse almost do you know what i mean totally we when we when we role play this in the dojo even with little kids they're very good at understanding their options so we do basic threat assessment from like seven-year-olds upwards because they quite enjoy that but the older kids also get uh, the um comply distract dissuade assert um fight kind of scenario so look at this choice you're in your code red where mm. which of these is going to be your best option how could you distract how could you dissuade um how could you assert um and would that be a good choice how would that work um uh, comply, distract, dissuade, uh, assert, uh, yeah, and fight. So you're, you know, you're really looking at, you always have choices, Susie, you always, and I teach this to my Indian girls all the time because they get very stuck in kind of fear stuff and they're like, what if your hands and feet have been tied and there's four of you and they've dragged you in a van and you've done all of this thing and they, oh. you, you're just like, oh my God, this is, and this is the thing is that they know girls that this has happened to. Yeah. So it's a very, close and present fear and of course we always want to go back down the timeline without victim blaming ever and go all right you're you really are deep in your worst case scenario here 
and you are never, ever out of options. We're always going to be looking at what we can do and looking for that moment, the transitional moment when we can do something. What have you got? Um, but also, you know, kind of go backwards to what if this were you, what would you see in that context? What would you see in the build up? At what point are you thinking? actually know even if it's going to be rude and this is very difficult for Indian women as well but it's easier for it's not easy for anybody to be rude to somebody else who is a nice person and that's something you're up against is that the person you're dealing with is not a nice person by very definition they're trying to rape you abuse you you know assault you whatever they're not a nice person they're not playing by the same rule book so that's hard to overcome anyway. But you don't you don't owe them shit and that's very difficult and that comes from obviously training a lot of kind of boundaries and self-esteem and that kind of thing in the students but having an okay option where you don't have to be rude to them is a much more palatable acceptable alternative for a lot of the Indian students that I work with so we've kind of worked on things saying things like oh I'm sorry if I seem a bit peculiar I'm on my period at the moment which for a lot of Indian men is just like, oh, my God. I'm yes, don't don't woman. speak anymore. I can't yeah, exactly. cope. <laughs> then, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that, that and, and they find that accessible and plausible in a way that, um, you know, stay away from me, all the rest kind of kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Not, yeah. It's not going to happen in a culture where they've been brought up to be very, very submissive mm. and you're asking them to stretch beyond what they have inside them because we all have the right things inside us we just have to know which tools we can access and it's no good me as a nearly six foot tall white woman telling my Indian students what to do in their context we can only discuss what they have inside them and how to access that because we all have you know you have if you've ever tried putting a cat in a cat box you know that it's not necessarily about weight it's about will mm um and yes so i one of the things that i teach my my indian girls is you know fight like you're a monkey being put in a sack mm. it's it's not that you you don't have to have every, every you know physical advantage on your side it helps but we haven't got it so let's be realistic mm. so so are, am i just going to say oh well you're fucked then go and have your tongue torn out and your um you know it just you know get burned alive it's not never going to be a thing that we you know so so we're always going to look at as Susie was saying the choices but the more educated you can be about the psychology of those choices the more tools you have again that was a really long thing to an aside from what you were saying about choice no it's, it's good it's good and I guess as well one of the other things is is letting these letting people know that we're giving you these skills that may not work yeah you know what I mean Absolutely. it's like because that's the other thing is you this this will work this is what you need to do to stop this it's like no it's the cookie cutter approach to self-defense yeah. isn't it? if when he comes at you like this you will do that when he does this or when she does this or when they do that you know whoever it is who is the the violent person when they commit this act then you do this Which like you reactive. say that might not be appropriate yeah. because of the room you're in or the outside space you're in or the clothes you're wearing or whatever yeah. and you have to access that in your library which you're not going to do um no. because it's much too specific um no. and you know this is again coming back to the nfps um mark Dawes stuff 
about um, how the psychology works under pressure, which has been which is a really good course to do. Um, and um, yeah, so you have to kind of like not make it context specific. It has to be principle based without a doubt. Um, and anybody that is teaching you if they do this, then you do this is already on the wrong side of it because we need to be teaching preemptive striking. Mm. So, um, you know, as soon as the attacker who is probably bigger and stronger than you has the initiative, you're already at a massive disadvantage. Yeah. So it has to be like educating around the build up so that you have your opportunity to strike first, which is another very difficult thing to get the non-violent nice person who's just trying to mind their own business to get them to take the initiative against the person who is violent and wants to hurt them and is quite comfortable with violence you know that takes a hell of a lot of training mm, absolutely it does yeah yeah so how much time do you spend on on drills like that to develop that switch i guess do you know what i mean that switch to be able to turn it on and be aggressive like a burst of aggression so um it depends on the age group um and one of the things that i'm interested in um a lot is how to build foundational skills in kids from four and above mm. um because the whole issue of children's self-defense is quite um, a contentious one and um what you teach and how you teach it is um is obviously up up for debate Mm. Um, but there's a lot of core reactive skills that you can um, that you can teach that are very effective and then obviously some sort of basic principles and agility and, and that kind of thing as well I've got this new drill with my um, little tiny ones uh, well, I can't really do it with the big ones because they're too good at it um, where they use the um, cover position that Jamie uses where you've got a real clamp on the head because otherwise their hands split too easily mm -hmm. and they're coming forwards from the elbows and they have to try and ram me out the way um and um so basically it's a crash and cover but it's um yeah. but it's very specifically so a bit a bit technical but they 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 just go automatically they, they now they used to go into that position from from four you know they, they get up from the floor they get up from the floor without using their hands like as if they've been knocked down by bullies and they come up um, ready to defend and then to, to come out and strike uh, and yeah it's just really funny to have these tiny kids come barreling at me and go fucking hell that's hard and the, kid, the other kids are like can I show can I show sensei can I show and I'm just like not you you're too big because <laughs> that's um so yeah and then with the older kids we do like you know maybe more of a we try and make it specific to the context that are realistic for them so with secondary school kids, we, we, we all tend to put it in the context of um, playground scenarios as that's the most likely um, place that they're going to be um, threatened. I mean, obviously, with the younger kids as well, but they tend to get more, you know, you can get it, it's parks. It's um, and then also at a at siblings as well. What's appropriate to use when you're siblings um you know and then they understand about levels of control and and uh, proportionate response and that kind of thing as well um so i don't know what percentage of time i do on that it kind of goes in waves i guess mm. as well because like coming back into the dojo after the summer holidays is really important time to work on anti-bullying skills so i then set up 
um, part of our warm up will be what I call the anti-bully circuit, where they're doing like agility ladders and sprawls and um, crash and cover drills on um, on pads and that kind of thing. And we revise stuff and they'll end up that they've forgotten it. And then when they get a bit bigger, then I teach them the fence. Um, varieties of fence and how to work around that. Um, I'd say that my um, my syllabus is far from um, far from done. Um, that I'm learning too fast to be able to adequately implement things. Um, so I'm, you know, and I've got all of this going on in self-defense at the same time as having all of it going on in karate as well. Mm. So um, I think it'll be a long time. I'd like my um, young um, people's self-defense syllabus to be um, awesome. But um, at the moment, it's so-so. With Chris Webb um, down, uh, um, I don't know if you're aware of Chris at Grove Martial Arts. He's just... Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know. Uh, uh, Chris and I do a schools program where we, um, so we, we are uh, Teen Personal Security Oxfordshire, and we go in and do just specifically self-defense for people that have never done that kind of stuff and self-protection, personal security stuff. Chris, being ex-military, is always really strong on personal organization and that kind of avoidance stuff, which is ideal for teenagers. You know, charge your phone, make sure your coat's warm enough, all of that kind of stuff that parents mm. want them to know. But yeah. It's boring if it comes from somebody else, but if it comes from a man and a woman that are pushing each other around entertainingly and um, smacking things, um, then it's a bit more. Oh, yeah. And again, a lot of it has to come from them. We do so much stuff on, you know, Chris can teach suitable clothing to teenage girls uh, without digging himself into a big hole. And that's quite a skill. Mm. Oh, that is a skill. But then it comes from asking them. What are the pros and cons? Or what, what, if you're thinking about your personal security in terms of the clothing that you wear, um, what are your thoughts for what's, what are good clothing choices and what are dangerous clothing choices and why? And, you know, then it will come from them and we discuss with them. You know, things like having an extra pair of shoes if you want to wear heels because you're not going to be able to run otherwise uh, or you could be uncomfortable. Things like you might, you know, you if you want to wear a fantastically um, a figure hugging dress, then go for your life. Absolutely do that. But maybe that's the time that you've booked a taxi home or that you're sharing location with somebody else. Or it's all about, again, coming back to Joe Saunders stuff, mitigation. Mm-hmm. Understand the risk factors, make your personal risk assessment and then mitigate. And then you can live your life as freely as you can, but with knowledge, which is so important. So um, so then, yes, girls are fully aware that they might be more at risk of um, unwanted male attention if they go out wearing certain clothes. But then some of the girls at one of the schools I was working at in the summer, it was fantastic. One of them was talking about if you go out wearing a Pride T-shirt, an LGBTQ T-shirt or something like that then that also puts you at risk. And that's completely true. I mean, I've got trans students that are perpetually at risk of assault um, and have had a lot of um, horrendous situations that they've had to work through. And so then it's about, am I going to tell you not to live your life? Of course, I'm never going to say that. What I am going to say is let's understand how that interacts with the society that we're in and let's work out how we mitigate. It's different in the States because guns are a thing. The, the the soft skill syllabus is in uh, American martial arts very different because they're much less predicated on 
you know, close range stuff and knives because a gun's from the other side of the car park. And then in India, it's a completely different thing again, because everything's so much closer and we're on very populated streets. So which can be a massive advantage because kids are much like much less likely to be engrossed in their phone because they're going to get run over. So they're mm. looking around their their street awareness, their um, observation skills are fantastic. So that's something we then go, OK, well, let's really use that. And then let's talk about on your regular routes. Who do you trust? Let's have strong relationships to over to overcome bystander effect. Should you ever be in trouble? Let's decide who do we cultivate on this route? Who do we trust? Who could you recruit if you got into trouble? Um, because obviously bystander effect is a, you know, complicated thing. Um, but understanding it and understanding how to get past that in your regular environment. Um, it, yeah, and it, you're right. Everything works and nothing works. It's not going to work 100% of the time. But it's an informed, developed assessment of the environment that you're normally in. Mm. And that's empowering. We don't have to be fearful. That's the thing. It's not about being combative, hypervigilant. It's about understanding your environment and the psychology of the people you're likely to meet um, and then liberating yourself as much as you safely can. Yeah. I love that perspective. It's a, it's a refreshing to hear that compared to the normal shit you hear. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. I'm glad I'm talking to you. <laughs> glad I'm talking to you too. <laughs> No, that's that's brilliant and I'd never heard of the bystander effect but that's that's basically everyone feeling like they're not really involved they don't really know what's going on or who's who's involved so they'll just stay out of it and let somebody else take responsibility is that about right for what bystander yeah. effect is 10 80 10 um and you see this in first aid actually I was really nerdily interested to watch this play out um, um a few months ago in the town square when a woman fell over um because uh yeah it was it was profoundly in 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 operation so in any given situation this is very approximate and wikipedia goes into it in a lot more detail as do many other sources and books on psychology um something happens one person will take action uh one person definitely won't take action but eight people will wait for instructions okay um which is why as your first aider it's, you know, why we're always going to be training, you know, you uh, get a coat, you call the ambulance, you do this because people will, people are willing to help. They're kind of hovering to help. Mm. But but you have to tell them what to do. Yeah. So delivering instructions to recruit bystanders is um, is really important in self-defense work, because most people you see so many um, um, videos um of CCTV footage where people will just walk past. They don't want to get involved. Yeah, um, or they don't know how. Or, or they don't know how, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, as a victim, it's enough to have to be trying to deal with the situation that you've got, as opposed to also then have to work out how to manage the bystanders. But if you think about the things that you see, like on the tube, where um, somebody starts up racist abuse, and um, you as a bystander, then you don't know what to do and how to do it. Um, but understanding how and why you're being paralyzed and how to then get past that um, mm. and how to how to become proactive instead of passive that's um you know that's that's a useful thing for people to understand and, and to, to work on which again role play is useful for that yeah yeah 
Yeah, you do. You see some terrifying things. And sometimes you see people intervene in those in, in really gentle ways. But that, that really does help to de-escalate. You know, they'll possibly just go and be beside the person who's being shouted at. Mm-hmm. And and then just kind of but almost be just a little bit in front of them, but just be with them. So kind of now this person has to shout at two people. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It's and maybe that person. that's a man who's stepped in to be supportive, you know, but just like to just be there and kind of like, I'm here too now. Yeah. Although uh, one of the things that really, again, looking at kind of issues around toxic masculinity, um, not that I'm oversensitive to that, of course. Um <laughs> But sometimes you see this thing being shared where, um, you know, um, oh, a girl maybe will will come up to you and a girl you don't know will come up to you and hug you and whisper in your ear that she thinks she's being followed. So, you know, do the right thing and protect her and go with her and that kind of thing. It's just like somebody with a fucking Prince Charming complex has thought that up. Because, you know, it's quite possible for a woman to go up to you and talk to you about how she thinks she might be being followed. You don't have to pretend to be her lover. Um, it, it's just like it just kind of appeals to the the romantic um, saviour kind of thing. It's just like, you know, you can be alongside somebody. You don't have to be, you know. Yeah, I have, have having um, been somebody who's have, have, was uh, I remember being followed relentlessly for a couple of hours in a holiday resort by somebody and I couldn't shake them. And I was terrified to go back to the apartment I was in because I didn't want them to know where I lived. Yeah. It's only about three years ago. Wherever I went, I turned around and there he was. Couldn't shake him. And in the end, all I did was I went and found, and it's a foreign country, I didn't speak the language. Right. Um, you know, but basically I went and found two nice women who were doing their shopping, sitting on a bench, you know, and I bought a coffee and I sat down and said, please talk to me. <laughs> yeah. And they could see yeah. I was really like, oh. But that's actually all you need to do for somebody, isn't it? It's just kind of like, okay, she just wants to sit and talk to us, you know, mm-hmm. do that. But do also, that. if they speak the language, then, you know, I think you did all the right things, but and you survived, so that, that's clearly another indicator that you did all the right things. But Yeah, you know, I mean, I think he was really just thing. a random perv. I don't think he was, but, you know, the thing is, is, it's very unsettling. Absolutely. And sometimes in that scenario, if you do, if there is somebody that you then you're, you're with somebody that might speak the language and you can explain the situation and maybe they'd be willing to say, why are you following this woman? Or because sometimes that face to face in that situation can mm. be helpful in turning it away. It, each of those is different. I mean, that's the thing that um, there was a. Um, yeah. And there's quite a lot of kind of discussion and footage around what to do in that kind of situation and some some good kind of it, it's there it's out there along with things like um women jogging you know like personal security when you're jogging uh are we going to say that you should never go jogging no of course but understanding the risks around it are um that, that's really really important and then for me that headphones headphones when people are um in you know okay if you're in a populated area fair enough but if you are somebody that likes to run long distances and you like to listen to music all the way if you're running the same routes all the time i just wouldn't i just wouldn't say it's worth what you're listening to to cut out that extra sense yeah or here's something that i've only discovered recently 
publicising it on Strava. Yeah, yeah, this is the route that I always go. Oh, well, thanks then. Like every day, seven o'clock with your name and the route in highlighted on an app that is open to everybody. That at um, six o'clock, you go out and you run four miles round the block. Yeah. I, oh my God. I, I'd never thought that. Sh- yeah, that's shocking. I, I'd never thought that. It is. It is just. It blew my mind because a male friend of mine does it. Does it, and um, you know, and he's he he feels pretty. It's not. It's not a, an issue for him, but you know, for for many people that would be an issue. And it actually flagged up because some military guys were doing it, and that's what happened. Is they became a target for some people who didn't like military guys, so they had to stop doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, all of this then kind of is in the area of um, stranger violence, where coming back to our politeness protocols, one of the main issues yeah. is most people that suffer violence, particularly women, are suffer it from people that they know. And mm. that um, dealing with that is, and the complexity of the relationships that are part of that setup um, is another thing that we have to recognise and we have to train. And with um kids in um we talk about friendships and how um how some friendships can make you feel um that you you know people that kids often end up doing things that their friends want them to do that they don't want to do mm-hmm. and that then is um really good it gives us the the paddling pool that we need to work on those bigger skills um because we then can walk through how we manage that situation and what to do when you feel like somebody's trying to control you in that situation. Um, sorry, I know that's a slight tangent from where you were with with Strava, but I think we. No, it's it's very relevant that that thing that we've uh, you know I remember talking to I, again I mentioned this to Greg and Joe you know this is a predator could easily be you know your I've just always used this example I don't know why but your best mate's husband. Totally. You know, and it's like that is a, a raft of problems. You know, it's a, you you cannot start a fight with that. No. You're not going to because the relationships that are going to fall out if you is is immensely tricky. What do you so anyway, so I was just reinforcing that I get you. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, um young girls that get raped by their best friend's brother, for example. Uh, on sleepovers or that kind of thing and they're just you know all of those are very uh typical scenarios but if we spend all of our time talking about here we are in the street and a stranger does this Mm. then we are again committing the same crime of we're looking at a tiny percentage that we feel comfortable accessing Mm -hmm. because it's okay to vilify a stranger it's much harder to confront the reality that our students um, have people in their lives that might be abusing them um, and it's like you were talking about with the rape thing no guy wants to play the part of the rapist and no woman wants to go through the whole thing of here we are in class pretending to be raped well that's mm. a fun um, <laughs> <laughs> no but you could possibly play act the whole kind of um, slightly uncomfortable slightly uncomfortable come on yeah and and being able to just kind of yeah, mate, you've had a few too many. We all have. Let's go back outside, shall we? <laughs> yeah. Again, boundary setting, which can be taught from a very early stage and can be taught very systematically. When my yeah. little ones come and sit down with me for our dojo chats, 
that is quite comedic sometimes, particularly with um, social distancing. Uh, that that we're all like, this is my personal space. This is my personal who, and you know, and just like trying to educate from a very young age who you let into your personal space and who um, is not allowed in your personal space, and how you set that, and how you talk about um, being uncomfortable, and then who you talk to if somebody's making you feel uncomfortable, and so on. I, and it's not, it's it's not foolproof. You know, everything works and nothing works because you, you're not going to necessarily catch the ones whose parents are abusing them. Um, you're not going to be able to solve all of these things. But having it in the dialogue is a step forward. I mean, I've had um, kids, um, f fostered kids, obviously, that have been through some horrendous sexual abuse in classes and having them at that early stage be able to learn the vocabulary around your ownership of your own body and your own space and um, try and reset some of those um, kind of distances is, you know, and that's another thing like that goes across into karate as well. Obviously, when we're talking about yeah. distancing and that kind of thing, um, that's, you know, that's an important part of what we can do. We can't we can't do everything, but there is a lot we can do and, and what we can do, we should do. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that does kind of relate quite well, doesn't it, into karate classes? It's kind of like, wouldn't it, Greg? You know, in yours, like someone's yeah. come into your personal space or yeah. if someone's there or if someone's could work that quite easily. Yeah, could... absolutely. But again, I guess it's, it's the context you're using it in. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's definitely yeah. there's a lot of things you can bring in to martial arts classes for self-defense obviously but I think the one thing that I think people listening will understand after hearing you Mary is that it's such a vast subject that you can't cover it all in a karate class you just can't and it seems more and more clear that you shouldn't yes exactly you know yeah you might be able to mention things and be like oh you know this is a good tool for this but uh, this is why I really like what Les says Les goes, I don't teach self-defense. I teach karate. There might be stuff that he does that you, yeah. can, you can use, but he doesn't ever claim to be a self-defense teacher. And I love that about Les. Yeah, hey. absolutely. And I love what you said, Mary, about the, the girls in India who were learning to get fitter, get stronger, have boundaries around their own physical space, learn to strike things hard. Mm hmm you know getting a lot of physical confidence which is what I certainly got from karate when I yeah, started was just physical confidence like yeah. feeling physically stronger being able to block something and smack something hard that's that in itself was just like a really that was just really good it's really cool isn't it yeah it I really is. like it I just too. I remember like after a few months going yeah I can hit something that's great I like that Mm. Yeah, I, I really like choking and strangling people. That's one. Yeah, I do too, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> Bit specialist, I know, but you know, it's a, yeah. yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's good. So yeah, I think you're right. That's what, what it boils down to, is, um, it's, it's, we, we're past time on, um, thinking that we can do it all in one go. We need to be responsible and to understand the purpose of what we're teaching, whether that be like Les and say, this is not something that I'm teaching. 
uh, or whether it's like me and I go, this is definitely something that I want to teach um, and therefore I need to educate myself about it because the danger is people that do neither of those things don't educate themselves and continue to sell what they're doing or, or genuinely a lot of people believe it believe that what they're doing is effective in both spheres when it's not and that's incredibly dangerous isn't it I know that Greg's like horrified by that idea that people think that they can defend themselves like that it's not I, I hate it I hate it it is nothing pisses so me off more is that and the thing is as well it, it, most people who want to learn self-defense want to learn that yes do you know what i mean most people if, you know who want to learn a bit of self-defense don't want to go through the effort of learning the soft skills and all, and all this they just want to learn a few tricks they want hacks. reality yeah. is going to get them in more trouble than if they just stayed well away from a martial arts class yeah there are no hacks yeah yeah no and that's a dangerous myth as well for sure Yes. Yeah. Sort it out, everybody listening. Sort it out. Get yes. on with it. Sort it out. Yeah. Sort yeah. It. So, what would you? So, if we were going to come out of that with a kind of message then to martial arts club owners and sort of say, what what should they do? Just stop where they are and go and get themselves some of these books and look up some of these resources, or or what? What would you? What would you say if you could say? <laughs> I would say. Um, always always I'm a big fan of uh, Simon Sinek start with why what what do you want to do and then how can you do that because do you know so what is the purpose of your teaching if you're teaching from a sense of purpose then you'll be doing it effectively as long as you really are clear about what that purpose is and educate yourself around that so just kind of like have a moment, be honest with yourself. What do you really enjoy doing? What do you want to do? What do you want your students to learn? And then do that. Just don't pretend that you're something that you're not. Mm. Yeah. Brilliant. That's very good advice. That's good life advice. There we go. Uh, so much wisdom. Uh, life advice from Mary Stevens. There's yeah. the title. <laughs> not Wendy. Yeah. <laughs> not Wendy. Not, Not Wendy. Wendy. Everybody listening to me now is going to go, what? Endlessly that? calling you Wendy and catching myself doing that. So sorry. I like that. <laughs> She's going to be my new alter ego. Wendy Stevens. That's it. Wednesday. I love it. So that's oh, brilliant. So, shall we ask you some other questions then? Yes. I have a Hindi class at 11 o'clock. So sorry, okay. those of you listening that are not at 11 o'clock, that messes with your timeline. So, uh, I just to. Let's ask you a couple of quick ones then, and then we'll let you go get ready for your class. Yeah. What's your favourite martial arts or or other movie? If Kill you Bill. Have... Pardon? Kill Bill. Kill Bill. Yeah. Part one or part two or just both equally? Both equally. Um, all together. Uh, obviously, my favourite scene is the garden. Um, and yeah, which is just the the little water thing. That's amazing, particularly, obviously, because of the bedlam that comes before. But uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, and it's not only my favourite martial arts film um, from obviously a, a lot, but my favourite film. OK, um, I'm going to ask this because it entertains me massively. The difference of opinion on this one. Should you wash your gi belt or not? 
wash it when it needs washing. Uh, so uh, I, I really enjoy this debate as well because you know who wants to wash the magic and the chi out of their their. But yeah, it's fucking unhygienic. Seriously, if you sweat in it, you should wash it. But there you go. There you go, people. There's the answer. Definitely. I was I was genuinely surprised to see the variety of opinions on that one. I I was. I, I, you know, I didn't have an overly strong feeling about it other than if I've sweated into it, I've washed it. And I was quite startled that so many people were like, no, no, you shouldn't do it. Uh, I think when you've done BJJ, which involves a lot of sweating in your belt, then you're just like, there are some really minging yeah. belts out there. Um, and the other thing about BJJ is, I don't know if this has happened to you yet, Greg, is that um, you pick up a lot of horrible like skin infections on the mats as well from other people. And hasn't happened uh, yet. No. Ringworm will be there somewhere in your future, which is just nasty. Um, so that's where you go. Okay, gi hygiene, definitely. It, we, we're privileged in karate in that we don't always have. That. No one touches each other. Yeah. And um, avoid ringworm, do karate. Yeah, exactly. That's my new selling point. I'm going to use your chi instead. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to ask the next question now, Greg. You've made a laugh too much. Sorry. We'll just talk amongst That's ourselves. So yeah, we'll leave it to it. It happens sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it has happened many a time. Don't oh, be a no. minger, put it through the ringer, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, and I think that was probably it. How about you, Greg? Have you got more questions for Mary to finish up with? I don't think so. I think we've covered a lot. It's 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 kind of reinforced my position that I've been leaning towards. So that's good for me. It's going to definitely change the way I approach things, I think. Yeah. Well, it's the kind of thing that I love to talk about all the time, obsessively. Like I said to Susie when we set this chat up, so... Um, you know, if if it's something that you are, uh, 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 you know, when you're thinking about what what might this look like, what might that look like? Like mm. I said about people ahead of me on that particular journey in karate, that I think it's really important that if somebody has got knowledge that you feel drawn towards, then we should all be sharing that because it's, you know, it's all part of the purpose of what we're doing, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah I, I consider it an open channel of communication. Okay, thank you. And we will share the uh, the Red Brigade Trust as well, mm. which oh, I'm yeah, assuming yeah. that that's something that people can donate to as well, if we share the link for that. Uh, yes, so, yes, absolutely. What I need to do is, for my, um, for my visit in December, I'm going to open a, a fundraiser because we're trying to equip the new dojo for our Safe House Girls. Um, as well as run workshops for the Red Brigade. So it, the, because of the way that Indian banking works, um, because of the unique way the BBC is funded, because of the way that Indian banking works, you can't donate directly to NGOs inside of India. Um, and um, we have this complex and probably illegal um, system of currency passing where stuff gets paypal across different places. I didn't just say that on a public broadcast, of course. Um, and on a friend's basis that I, you know, if I need to give money to my friends to do things, then that's how we have to do it. Um, but 
luckily um a, a while ago fair fight was able to register properly with facebook as a um uh, a charity so when i run a, a fundraiser on facebook we can now then access that money and, and and i can take it with me into india which is obviously really good um and i'm going to be really old this year i'm going to be 50 in november so i thought i'd do a birthday fundraiser and try and raise as much money as i can before i go out there in december and then do amazing things with um, the money that everybody will generously provide so um awesome. Perhaps I need to get myself organised to generate that link so that you could share that. That would be amazing. We really will share it. Very, so happy to share anything like that, Mary. Thank yeah. you. And uh, we'll share your um, any of your Facebook pages as well so that people can come and, and check out your work as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's been so good talking to you. I've loved it. Thank you very much indeed for having me. No, Anytime. it's been an absolute pleasure. All right, take care. Thank you. All right. Thank you.